Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is the author of the book called A Constraints-Led Approach to Swim Coaching. It's Andrew Sheaf. He's uh, joining me on this podcast. I'm really excited to get into some of the topics that you've covered in your book because as a coach of how long now, maybe 17 years, some of the stuff that you write about in the book is uh, I've learned some of this stuff along the way, but there's a lot of stuff there that you go into really great detail of that I think, well, there's so much that coaches can learn from this, but also swimmers and how they can approach their their training, how they can approach skill development in a systematic way so they actually see the results rather than uh, trying something for a week and then you know, going, okay, well, this didn't work and then just just leaving it. So uh, I'm really excited to get into some of the topics today and uh, thank you for joining me for the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you've, you've coached collegiate swimming for around 15 years and now you're yep. focusing on working with coaches and, and clubs to help them be able to develop their swimmers with, with better skills. And mm-hmm. with the book, you've really sort of covered this in, in a, lot of, a lot of detail. What inspired you to write the book? Because it's a lot of work to write a book, especially of this kind of detail. Yeah. So I had, so I'd gotten, so, so pretty early in, in, in my career, I, I started swimming pretty late and I was a pretty good athlete, but I was a pretty bad swimmer. And so it became pretty obvious to me that like the skill component was really in specific to me, holding me back. And then, you know, and I started to see that it was pretty much true of all athletes to, to varying degrees. And so I, I became pretty, pretty interested pretty early in, in how to develop skills. And so that kind of like started the whole process. And, and that's what really kind of got me interested in coaching. And then as I, you know, I learned more, you know, the, the, the traditional approach is to just, you know, you, you identify the skills that need to improve, be improved. You talk to swimmers about it, you provide them feedback to it, provide them feedback about it. And then you're also, you know, using the drills that, that everybody talks about to help develop their strokes. And, you know, there was kind of a lot, uh, a lot of problems I kept running into. And, and to me, you know, if it's not actually making them better, like I don't really want to do it. It's just a waste of time. And so it, it became about getting as much out of all of the, the skill work as we could. And, and some of the problems were, you know, every coach experiences it. You tell someone to do something, they do it for a lap and then they stop doing it. But if they stop doing it, they just kind of forget about it. You know, that's one of the issues. One of the other issues is that there's like 50 kids and how are you going to, you know, have a conversation? How are you going to teach all of them? You know, that becomes really problematic and you're not going to be able to do one-on-one lessons with everybody. And then the other aspect of it is like, you know, a lot of times there's this disconnect between skill development and training. And if you can't do the skills in a race, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean anything. And if, if their skills are falling apart when they get tired, it doesn't mean anything. And so, you know, these are kind of things that I'm, I'm struggling with as I go through my, my coaching and I'm always kind of looking for answers. And then I came across a guy named Keith Davids, who's really involved with kind of some different approaches to skill development. And I got, you know, he wrote a couple books and I read those and I started to correspond with him and, you know, kind of develop some of these uh, or apply some of these ideas to swimming. And then, you know, along the way, he he basically asked me if I wanted to write a book as part of a series that he was doing. And so that, that's kind of how I actually got into writing the book. But the the journey about trying to figure out these ideas was basically just how can I find a way that solves all of these problems that I'm facing trying to develop skills because I was convinced or and am convinced that the difference between, you know, 
fast swimmers are almost always good swimmers. And so we need to develop those skills in everybody and then finding an efficient way to do it that actually creates change, not just in a couple athletes some of the time, but you know, all of the athletes all the time. And so that's kind of where all of this kind of came from. And, and that's, you know, what I'm still interested in. I'd love to dive into what you do when you've got 50 kids in your squad, because that's, right. that's what most clubs are. So a whole bunch right. of kids and one coach. What are right. some of those things that, that you would share with a, with a club coach who's got sure. a whole bunch that they're, they're trying to work with, but you just can't give that one-on-one attention? Yeah. So you have to find ways to basically, so you're not going to be able to like, quote unquote, coach all these kids. It's not possible. You're not going to be able to teach them. And so what you have to do is try to find activities that basically do teaching, do the teaching for you. And so, you know, an example that kind of everyone is, is familiar with is like, if you have the kids count their strokes, you know, it's not perfect. They're, you know, there are ways to cheat it, but nine times out of 10, they tend to lengthen things out. They tend to smooth things out and it tends to fix issues. And so that's a perfect example of, you know, a simple activity that you can do that starts doing the coaching for you. And so the more times you can find skills that kind of help with that, the more effective, you know, you're going to be. And so, you know, another example that probably a lot of people are familiar with, you have kids swim with a closed fist. Most times they're going to do a better job of, you know, using their forearm to pull. And so that's an example where like, you don't have to tell them to do anything in terms of like, Hey, Johnny, make sure you get your elbow up, but you've given them an activity where it starts to push them in the direction that you want. And, and it starts to do a lot of the work for you. And so that's what I started thinking about is, you know, how can I create activities and or, or, or drills or, or sets that almost require swimmers to swim in the way that I want instead of having to actually teach them. And, and that's the, the, the best place to start. And so, and, and the other aspect of it too, is that when kids have goals, they're going to perform better as a result. And so, you know, my expectation is always that kids know their times and they know their stroke counts for just about everything, because then you don't have to tell them something's wrong. If all of a sudden they're swimming two seconds slower, or they're taking three more strokes, they know that, and they're going to change something to, to, to do that. And if they're not aware of those things and you're not telling them and you're not providing them feedback, you know, they're going to be in la la land and they're just going to be swimming there. So having ensure, ensuring that they are taking responsibility for the numbers of their swimming can be, can be really, really helpful too. Yeah. I really like that one. Something that we do at clinics and we've done for a long time is, is contrast drills, which I, I know you talk quite a bit about where you, know, you get some, someone to do the right thing and then the, the wrong thing, it builds up that awareness yeah. around yeah, yeah. You know, then they know whether or not they're in the right position. They can right. sense it when they're starting to slip or, or fall apart with their stroke. Right. The other right. thing I've used at clinics a couple of years ago, pre COVID, I ran some clinics in New Zealand and we had, we had about 20, 24 or 30 swimmers or something at these, these clinics. So it was really, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of people compared to what I'm used to with the small groups of six. Mm-hmm. And I got them to pair up and I, I had them do a certain drill and I had the other, their partner watch them and then give them mm-hmm. feedback on how they were doing the drill. You know, do you need a, mm-hmm. it was like a catch yeah. drill. So just getting them yeah. to, to give that feedback and then they'd swap over. And so when they become the coach and they have to understand, they have to learn, all right, well, what's the right position? They have to be able to identify it. Then they have to correct someone. They start to, that they really can take right. that on board because I, th- I think one of the best ways to learn something is to, is to coach. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure right. that's probably what you've seen going from, you know, right. to, to coach is like, you just don't know. You, you just don't understand how much there is out there when you're just swimming 
compared to right. when you've got to become a coach and you've got to learn all these things. It's like, for me, I learned right. so much just becoming a, a coach. Whereas as a swimmer, I feel, I feel like I knew about 10% of the information. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, kind of what, what we're both saying is like, you have to, ha- you have to really teach them to, you know, basically how to, how to train and how to train. Part of that is being engaged in what you're doing and be aware of, of what you're doing. And the more, you know, I found that the more like, I don't like to argue with kids. And so the more quantitative it can be like you either went this fast or you didn't, or you either took this many strokes or you didn't like, then there's no discussion about that. And I think that can be really helpful because if, if, if it's like, Hey, your, your head's in the wrong position. And they're like, well, I thought it was right. Like you can't, like, I don't want to get into those discussions where it's a, you know, kind of subjective because, you know, as, as most, most coaches have experienced, you know, they don't, when you're their coach, they don't believe you, but if someone else comes and, and tells them the same thing, then they believe them. And so like, I just like to keep things objective to keep it simple. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to go about it. And what's the process that you would often go through, even just if it's in your mind, where if you're working with mm-hmm. a swimmer, let's say it's one-on-one mm-hmm. and you're looking yeah. at, all right, where, where in this chain of chain of technique, where yeah. are they falling apart there? How, how do you right. analyze those yeah. the, the swimmers? Yeah. So, so again, like with, with everything, it's, it's how can I create a way to get long-term change? And so a big part of that is like, you got to keep things simple for yourself. And so to me, pretty much every, every technical issue is, is usually one of three things and that's their, their alignment through the water. And so in all the strokes, they're trying to move through the water as straight as possible and without any deviations, you know, minimizing deviations up and down, left and right. And so if that's kind of the baseline, if they're not doing that well, like everything else is going to be you know, a, a problem. And so that's probably the first place I'm looking and, and especially with younger swimmers or older, less experienced swimmers, like that can be a big issue where they're just, they're, they're, their body position is not good and that's making swimming infinitely harder. And usually they're not really relaxed if they don't have that position. So that's probably the first place I start. And then the second thing that they have to be, be doing is, is creating a lot of propulsion. And so I'm just basically looking at, are there, when the, especially with the upper body, are their arms, you know, moving more or less kind of straight backwards? And do they have a big surface area with which they're doing that? And, and I'm not too worried about the details. I just kind of want that big picture thing because we can, we can work on that. And then the, the, the last piece is, is kind of the timing of it. And so they can be doing the right things, but doing them at the wrong time. And that's kind of the final piece that they have to, to, to get, um, set, set together. And, and, uh, I skipped over, but, and, and the breathing is usually pretty important, but to me, that's usually, um, kind of part of the alignment thing, because a lot of times when people breathe, that's when they really lose their alignment too. And, mm-hmm. you know, not breathing isn't a solution. So that needs to be figured out pretty early too. So it's usually those three things. It's like all of their problems are going to be their, their either alignments off. They're not creating propulsion effectively or, or the timing of it's off somehow. Yeah. I love it. That's a really simple way to to approach it and it's the often the simple solutions the simple the simple things that will help someone make that make that change mm-hmm. and i'd like to go to that first one the the alignment yeah i work with a lot of some adults who didn't learn to swim as kids and mm-hmm. that that alignment that body posture the the effectiveness of the kick it's it's not often there initially and, and yeah. often, quite often they're very stiff in there their ankles and they're just not, right. you know, not kicking effectively or can't hold themselves in a, in a straight body line. They're bending yeah. through the hips or they've got too much right. back arch and it's, and they're not holding themselves straight. 
what are some what are some yeah, exercises, drills that yeah. you would have swimmers do to just work on work on that? Yeah. So I think a lot of times it comes from a lack of awareness or almost belief that their lungs can actually support them in the water. And so they're doing everything and anything to like not take advantage of their lungs. And so really helping them understand that they can actually float and do so with like zero effort. And so like doing something where they get a big breath and they grab their knees and they get into a ball and like they're going to float. Some people will float a little higher. Some people will little, float a little lower, but they're, they're not going to sink unless they're literally like, you know, they've got the tiniest lungs and they're like pure muscle, but uh, you know, that's 1% of the, of the population. So that's like a foundation. It's like, I'm a, oh, wow, I can, I can float. And then it's, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's two aspects of it. So it's kind of like a fulcrum and, and the lungs are holding them up at the surface, giving them activities where they learn how to press the chest a little bit. And so like they could do it, you know, a swim of 25 with their head up really high and then they kind of lower it down like an elevator. And now it's like really low and they can start to feel how that, that change in pressure changes what their hips do and how they can improve their alignment through that. And so like, once you get the, the center or the awareness of the flotation, learning how to push from the front is, is important and, and people will need to do different amounts. Like there's not going to be a right way based upon how people are built. Like if your legs are super long or they're super short, you're going to have to do different things, but you know, giving them opportunities to explore that is where they figure that out for themselves. And then the other aspect of it is a lot of people that are pretty new to it, just their legs will kind of just like hang. And so they have to learn how to like create tension in the back of their legs and the back of their hips to almost like pull them up a little bit. Mm. And so what they can do is stuff like they're in that ball and then they just focus on extending their arms and extending their legs. And they have to like keep tension in the back. If they don't, they're not going to be able to do that. And so helping them learn how to just like feel what that's like and feel how to create that, that tension and, and while still using the lungs can be really helpful for helping them try to establish those positions. And then, and then what they do, it's like, you can do a couple reps of that. Then you do a 50, do a couple reps of that, do a 50. So then you're taking those sensations, what, what you experience, and then you're trying to apply that when you swim. And if you just kind of keep doing that over and over again, you know, it might take a week, it might take a month, but sooner or later, they're going to figure out something. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that tension through the, through the back and the, and the hips, it's not, for someone who's just started as an adult, like it's not instinctual. It's like, it's, no. it's just, it's very unusual, no. but well, well, the problem is, is, is their instinct is to kick, but they're kicking down. And so that's going to create tension on the front of their body because you know, they're kicking down and, and it's almost, you know, kicking can help keep your hips up, but it's almost the opposite of what they need to do. And, mm. and what, and, and when they're feeling their legs and hips sink, like they're going to panic, like maybe not like, you know, like, traditionally panic, but like, they're going to know that this is not a good thing. And they're going to try to do something in their first instincts is you just kick when in sometimes that's the opposite. Of it. Yeah. It's, it's so true. I have a couple of swimmers who will come to clinics who they might tire after 50 or a hundred meters and the kick is like a nine out of 10 that's why. effort. Yeah. yeah. That's and why it's, it's no wonder your heart rates up and, and there's all this, this tension, but it's, you've got to do the opposite. You've got to relax. You've got right. to lighten the kick. And you've got to and do less of it as well. So it's, right. uh, and that's one of the tricky things about swimming quite often that you need to do the opposite of what you think you need to do. Another example of yep. that is like with the, with the catch, a lot of the guys I initially work with, they are trying to rip very hard through that, that early movement mm -hmm. of the catch. And it's like, well, no, just use that more as the setup. And then you can accelerate through and you can apply more power through there. Cause if you're going right. for broke straight away, it's not a strong right. position. You're not set up to be pressing back. Right. So let's just turn our thinking around here 
and just ease off that power in the in the beginning. Yeah. And there's quite a few I, other things there too. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think holding the water is like the most misleading phrase ever because people think it's going to be a lot of pressure early and they need to like grab onto something when when it's really just a repositioning and then you apply pressure. And and I think that it it doesn't feel like pe- what people think it will feel like because of the the terminology and that, and and that's mm-hmm. why you get you know that te- that type of action that that you're describing, especially you know because the adults, especially if they're into it, like they're going to read about it and they're going to try to figure out the problem and then. You know, unfortunately, they misinterpret what what it's supposed to be, and then they end up with these habits that are actually, to your point, doing the opposite of what what they should be doing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And something we were talking about before the podcast as well is there's so many so many different things that you can consider, even just let's say freestyle technique. But you, it's going to be different for each person on how much right. they need to do, what they need to do during that part of it. There's so much nuance to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you might take a piece of advice that a coach has given, which may be correct for one person, but it's going to be the opposite right. of what you actually need to do. Right. And you know, I've, I've heard some right. coaches talk to swimmers and and say, you know, I just want you to get that hand in and then just rip it straight back. And while I wouldn't really give that advice to you know anyone, it's like, well, maybe if they're way too soft and and gentle, yeah, maybe that's work. a terminology yeah, you need to use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, yeah, and 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 like with like with the head position we were just talking about, there are some people that need to, you know, lower their head and and press into the water with their chest. There are some people that need to do the opposite because they're totally burying it, and and so, you know, a, a one size fits all prescription is not going to be effective, and that, and that's one of the 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 biggest challenges with with instructing athletes is like sometimes they need the opposite in, instruction, and that can be tough to know what exactly what to tell them because because you don't even know what they're you may think you're telling them what to do but they may be conceptualizing it in something like totally different than, than what you want them to think about it and like and 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 so that can be problematic too i want to dig into some of the the language that uh, you talk about in the book is as a coach there's yeah a lot of different strategies that you can use to help get a point across and you know, some of those mm-hmm. you've got analogies cues got rhetorical questioning can you talk a little bit about that and and how you'd use that with swimmers this episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor form smart swim goggles they're more than a pair of goggles meet the world's most powerful swim platform see yourself improve with form smart swim goggles including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only 249 us dollars they've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have one year membership included for free and if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only 15 US dollars a month where you get access to their workouts, training plans, and custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data in the goggles, so you never lose access to that. My favorite thing about the form goggles is having the instant feedback of what times you're doing, what stroke rate you're doing, and also the ability to see what your heart rate is. Because never before have we been able to have these immediate feedback, heads-up display, where it's actually telling you what your intervals are. So when I wear the goggles in training, I like that I know my split for the first 50 and the 100 and the 150. So every single lap, I'm getting that feedback on what my pace is. And I find it's such an important tool for being able to not only have different gears where you can switch between the different speeds that you want to swim, but it helps you develop those gears and it helps you intuitively know how fast you need to go before you're going to blow up or before you're going to go a little bit too hard. So it helps you just get really good 
at judging your pace for when you do go to a race. And even if you're not wearing the goggles in a race, it's that intuition and that ability to develop your pacing that these goggles can really help with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout and that will get you 15% off your pair of goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or the code effortless at checkout. Yeah. So if let's just, you know, stick with, we'll keep it practical. We'll stick with the catch kind of example. You know, different athletes are going to have different ranges of motion in the shoulder and they're going to have different range of motions, you know, in, in their upper body and their elbow and all of these things. And they're also going to have different levels of strength. And so they can, you know, a good catch position for different athletes is going to be different. And so when, if, if you're trying to tell someone to keep your elbow at a 90 degree angle or, or whatever angle it is, that may or may not be appropriate for me and it may or may not be appropriate for you. And, and so when you're super specific about how you're communicating to athletes, that can be a challenge because it, it might not be in alignment with what they need. And so instead, you know, what's the basic concept of the catch? Like you're kind of just creating a big hook that you're going to use to move water. So you can talk to athletes. It's like, I want you to set up your stroke. Like you're getting a big hook on the water. And, and, and that's an analogy that's going to be, it gives them the basic concept, but it gives them also, it also gives them the freedom to figure out how to make that work for their own body. Because if you tell someone to do something that they physically can't do and they're, and you know, like Ian Thorpe was always the, the, the poster child for great freestyle technique because he had this ridiculous catch. Yeah. 95% of, you know, swimmers, let alone humans, like can't get in that position. And so like to expect them to try to do that is just, you know, naive, but they can use the concept and they can try to figure that out based upon, you know, the resources that they have. Yeah. It's, it's such a better way to, to approach things. And I think the other benefits to that too, is they can, they can visualize it. Okay. Well, a hook, what's a hook look yeah, like? Yeah. Right. I know what that looks like. Yeah. Okay. And then I can just try and create that shape and that, and that feel of, right. of hooking into something. One right. I like there is thinking of a ladder underneath you where you're placing your hand on the rung of the ladder as you're moving yeah. along. Yeah. Cause quite often yeah. people will try and move their arm through the water rather than right. moving their body through the water and anchoring or, or hooking themselves. Right. In. Right. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, that was, you know, pretty early on, like that was one of the first like big steps. I was like, all right, well, I can't like, I got to find ways to like, it's almost like learning a new language. So instead of communicating to athletes in, you know, traditional put your hand here terms, it's like, how can I think of like analogies or, or, you know, that type of communication for all, all of the things that I wanted to accomplish. And, and, you know, that took some time because it's, it's like, you're starting to think in a different way. And then, you know, after a while you search, it just, it's pretty natural. Yeah. And, and how about the questioning? So I, yeah. I think when I first started coaching, it was it's like, okay, I want you, I want you to do, do this, do this. So, you know, that was too slow. And it's like, right. there's no, there's no back and forth between you and the athlete and right. you're just telling them what to do or you're telling them where they went wrong without actually getting them to take ownership of it. But with yeah. the right sort of questioning, you can really turn that around and give the athlete right. something that they can, they can work with and, and they can be more aware of what's happening and uh, you right. can get much better results that way. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, especially with, with a new athlete who's never really thought about that. So you, you ask them something like, how was that one? Or like, what did that feel like? And they literally stare at you like you're speaking a different language. Like they have no idea what to, what to do or say. And so, you know, these are people that are totally unaware of what they're doing. And, and that's, you know, that compromises their performance at some level because, you know, they're missing opportunities every time they swim. And so, you know, going back to the, to the head position thing. So, 
you could have them do that drill where they start off really high and they, they go really low. And then you just ask them, which position did you feel like was most effective versus like you saying, I saw your hips come up on, you know, about halfway through that looked the best. You know, you just ask them what, which one did, which, where did it feel best? And then, you know, they may say like, you know, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what they say because they're going to be talking in terms of their feelings and you just want them to verbalize that. And then mm. you're like, you can just say, all right, do, why don't you do another one? See if you can get that same feeling again, see if it's in the same place. And now, you know, you're trying to help them learn how to create awareness of, of what they're doing. And so whenever they're exploring that type of like, just asking them how things felt and, and not just like, it's, it's also important to actually like care what, what they say. Cause sometimes I think people just, you know, you, you kind of have, have to get them to, to, to search for, for, for the best thing. And that can be really helpful. And then another aspect that I like to do with learning in terms of like helping them learn how to train, like, so you can ask them after, say they're doing 10 100s on the first one, you can just say, all right, what was good about that? And what could be better? And so now you're encouraging them to problem solve because, you know, they're like, well, my time was pretty good, but I felt like I fell apart in the last 25. It's like, well, now they, now they've verbalized that. And now the odds are they're probably going to try to fix that on the next one. And, you know, if you, if you do that enough, they start to do that themselves. Yeah. And, and it's a way, instead of just telling them what to do, you're, you're helping them discover where their opportunities are. And because they've discovered those and they've made the choice to do it, they're a lot more likely to do it. It's just like anyone, if, you know, if you tell me to go, I don't know, do some chores, like I'm probably not going to do it, but if I'm motivated to do it, if I decide to do it, I'll probably do it. And so, you know, helping them learn how to identify opportunities and, and engage in what they're doing. You can't tell them to do that. You can only ask. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, it makes me think of when I was coaching a master's squad and something that I got when I was being coached as a, as a swimmer was always being asked, you know, let's say it's the last interval of a, of a main set and we need to make this one the fastest one. And the question is, you know, where can you find an extra half second? So I'm like, okay, yeah, where, right, where can right. I find it? Okay, maybe the turn, you know, maybe I can uh, pick up my, my stroke rate, that's second 50. Right. And it's something that I, I would do when I was coaching a master's squad when we'd have a you know, good solid workout is, is, is asking those questions and then people go through it in their mind and you're not saying, all right, work, you know, work the turn. It's like, no, they're, they're thinking about where they can find it. And, and they're going to make the choice. Answer. Yeah. Yeah, and, they're, and, and then they're going to do it because they've made the choice to do it. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. it's one of the real joys of coaching for me is like being able to yeah. get people to to do those things and trying to figure out ways to to get them to yeah. to make those changes on their own something that we'll I'll often do at clinics is after we go through some drills and we've worked on a certain aspect of it i'll get them to chat with the other swimmers in their lane about all right what were you thinking about and how did that feel and then they're mm -hmm. discussing it and they're, and they're having to think about it I'll go okay yeah well i was I was trying to go wider with my hands here. It felt kind of weird, but right. you know, I think it's going to be, be better. I think it's going to be faster. So just getting them to verbalize those things as well is, an, is another really good way to uh, be yeah. able to get them to kind of think, think about it in a different way because swimming is a, a sport where you're always in your head and you know, you're thinking so much during it. And I think if you can get that out of your head and just speak with others about it too, it's, it's a good way just to be able to figure some things out Right. Outside of just being in your head. Right. Right. Your comment about, you know, how can you find a way to make this last one the best one? I, I, I read this. I, I don't remember where, but like a lot of times people, especially coaches will be like, you can do it. Whereas the better question is, can you do it? Because then, then the athlete has to ask themselves, 
can I actually do this? And then they have to go through that process that you're, th that you were talking about. All right, well, yeah, I think I can, but how am I going to actually do this? And that, and that's going to be, you know, a lot more powerful than the coach just telling them you can do it because they're just like, no, I can't. <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, they've got to figure out what, to your point, like what, what solution can I find to make this happen? Mm. Yeah. I love it. Another thing is a lot of adult swimmers who have maybe been swimmers since they're a kid, they want to go to the pool and, have a good workout. They're not that interested in yeah. swimming slow skill development. It's like, no, I'm, I got my hour. I've got my 90 minutes. I just want to get to the pool and, and have a workout. What can we do as coaches to, or what can those swimmers do to be able to still develop and improve their skills and their technique without doing half an hour of drills each, each session? Yeah. So, so it kind of goes back to, to what we were talking about in the beginning is, is find training tasks that, force swimmers to do for, or in this case, force yourself to, to swim well, even, you know, regardless of what it is or how hard it is. And so an example is let, let's say we're working on our pull and the, you know, the, you know, you just do some drills, whatever, whatever pulling drills that you'd thought, you know, that you were told to do, like you could just do those and that would be your basic skill work. Instead, you could do something like 2025s on, you know, if, if you want to go faster, like 45, or if you want to go more aerobic on 30, you're going to put a pull buoy in and your goal is to do each and every one of them. And, you know, as few strokes and as fast as possible. And so like, you, you know, it's the old swim golf thing where you add up the time and you add up the stroke count, but because you're trying to do that, you know, the only way to do that, that's a work set. That's 2025. It's pretty strong effort, pretty fast, but you're having to swim well to do it. And so that's just one example of, of of how you can, you know, do that with almost any skill. If you put stroke counts on it, you have times uh, that you're trying to hit and then you just change the activity slightly. So another thing you could do is like, if you hold a paddle upside down, that's going to kind of lock your wrist. Again, you're going to have to use the whole forearm to, to create propulsion. And so like you could do a, a set of four 100s with, you know, holding your paddles upside down, you're going to descend one to four and you're going to try to not take any more strokes. And like, if you can do that successfully, that's going to be hard. And you're probably going to learn how to hold more water when you do that. And so it's just a matter of figuring out how to just get a little bit extra skill work. Like you can still do the same basic set, whatever it is, but how can you add another extra challenge to it that forces you or the athletes to swim well when they're doing it? Yeah. And I, I remember hearing in one of your, one of the videos that you did as well is a way you can use a tempo trainer in say like a yeah. set of 12 100s and you can use that to help develop the skills. Can you talk a bit about you know, how you right. might use a tempo yeah. trainer? That, that, that's a, and, and that one's, that's fun too. So like what you can do is to say like it's 12 100s. And so you, you set the beep. So it's at a certain stroke rate. That's pretty manageable. Then you're going to like, you can descend one to three at the same tempo. And so the only, like you can't take faster strokes. So the only way to go faster is either to be better with your turns or to take longer strokes. And so you can't really cheat it. So you have to swim better in order to swim faster. And then like, so say we're doing 12. So the next three, you can just make the tempo a little bit faster. So you should be able to descend down to even faster because your stroke rate's a little bit faster. And then you just do that for the next three and the next three. And you can do that, you know, with any type of, of set, you can do that over any type of distance. You can do that at any type of stroke rate, but it's just this game that's way more engaging than just swimming. Mm -hmm. And it forces you to swim well. Because the only way to go faster is you can't take more strokes. You have to be a better swimmer. And so that's a, and, and you can do the same thing. If you don't have a temper trainer, it's the same basic idea. It's like, 
you're going to take, you can only take 15 strokes a lap and you're going to descend one to three. And then the next set you're going to take, you can take up to 16 strokes a lap and then you can try to descend one to three. And then you should be able to go faster because you got an extra stroke. And, and, you know, these type of activities are forcing you to work on both your, your stroke count, your stroke length, and, you know, trying to swim faster as well. And so it can be super engaging. It's a lot more, you know, at least to me anyway, it's a lot more fun than just swimming back and forth and you're going to get better at swimming too. Mm. Yeah. That, especially for the, for adults, it's like that sort of stuff they have never really done as, as kids, you know, so it's just, it's brand new. And right. I would imagine most adult swimmers who've learned as adults say they're going to be very bad at that to start with, but right. you've got to start somewhere. And yeah, being able to being able to swim faster while holding the same stroke rate, it's like, well, man, okay, that's that's it's a pretty tricky thing to do initially. But right. if you can just keep doing stuff like that, you'll be able to have much better awareness around what your, your technique yeah. is like, and that that feel, that hold of the water. You you're going to improve that greatly because I think uh, a lot of the people that I coach and come on board with me, it's like initially that's just they're just swimming up and down. There's there's not too much thought about uh, stroke length or stroke count or anything it's just going back and forth and if we can bring that attention or they can bring that attention to you know how well they are swimming technically and put some numbers behind it with either rating or, right. or stroke count right. it's um they're really starting to do the things that elite swimmers are doing and are, and are very good at yeah right right and, and another one i like too it's like they can do say you can do five 200s and this is short course, like you can go either like on the odd laps, you go 16 strokes and the even laps, you go 18 strokes. And the goal is, and it, you can make the numbers, whatever you want. And the goal is to like, be able to actually do that on command. Like you have the control over your stroke to actually switch gears and, and change it. Like, and not just kind of be like, I hope I get the right stroke count. And like, so that, that develops, you know, some control over that. And, and a lot of people, as you, as you were saying, they start out, they have no idea how to do that. But that's just something that you should be able to do. And like, and then you can, you can still descend that one to five. And so you're, you're playing with the same, you know, variation and stroke count. And then you're also trying to get faster with it too. And so like, there's all these games that you can play that will actually, you know, help you learn how to control your swimming and how to actually create change. And, and in some ways that's a lot more powerful than just thinking about things because you can be thinking about things, but not actually changing anything. And mm -hmm you know, sometimes the numbers can be really helpful because it forces people to change. And if, if it, if they try to do something and it doesn't work, then they need, they know they have to do something different. And I think that's, what's mm -hmm. super powerful about that is that it forces change and the feedback is immediate and it's not arguable. What would be some of the things that you see happening for someone who is having trouble increasing their speed while keeping the same <laughs> stroke rate? Where, where would you see them going, yeah. going wrong? Yeah. So I think a lot of times it's, it can come down. So, so none of this stuff is going to work if they're, if they don't have some of those alignment and balance issues sorted out because everything they do is basically just a, a reaction to not like not drowning kind of almost. And, and so like their, their, their heads all over the place and their arms are just basically compensating for, for their loss of alignment. And, and like you said, with the kicking, like they're just trying to keep their hips up and they're just doing everything they can. So they don't really have the ability to control anything. And so a lot of times with that, it's that they feel out of control and they just keep things moving so that they can kind of stay in control. And so I think helping athletes learn to relax in the water could be the first step because 
you know, a lot of with the stroke count stuff is you have to be a little bit more patient in the front of your stroke. And if you are using your arms and your legs to maintain your balance, like you can't afford to do that. And so that can be a huge thing. And I think a lot of athletes just don't, yeah, they just don't realize that they can be a little bit more patient and sometimes they just have to like force it. And, and if, you know, something I, I do is like, if they're like, I just can't take 20 strokes a lap or, or whatever it is. Well, you've kicked across the pool once probably in less than 20 strokes. You probably took zero strokes. So just do under 20. I don't care how terrible it feels or how much it isn't even swimming. It's just kind of like this kicking with occasional arm movements, but just do it. And then you can work yourself back into it. And then you can start to figure it at least do something different mm. and create a change. And then you can work on creating a better change. Mm. Yeah. I really try and encourage the swimmers at the, at the, our clinics to say, this is, this is a chance to experiment. This is a chance to yeah, try exactly. something different. And if it feels exactly the same, it's going to look exactly the same. So I want you to push yourself out of that comfort zone of what you think you should do with your technique. And like, this is a chance to just right. try something new and it's okay. If it feels awkward, unusual, that's a sign that you've at least changed something. And like, as much as I'd love it to be the case where any change in the right direction feels better, it's not always the case. It doesn't. Some, some, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it is, but quite often it is not. And uh, it's just your body going, hang on, this is, I'm not used to this. And you know, so they go, okay, let's go back to what we're used to because that feels good. And so you've got to yeah. be able to just know that it's okay to, to feel a bit out of balance, a bit awkward, out of time right. things when you're making those changes. Right. And, 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 and that's, you know, and that's one thing I, I love the, the numbers aspect of it too, is because it, it's comforting because athletes will be like, this feels so terrible. I'm like, well, you took two less strokes and you went three seconds faster. It's like, if you want to keep swimming the other way, you can, I don't really care. And then like, they're like, all right, I'll do it. And, and, and the other thing that can be helpful too is, you know, especially with iPhones everywhere, it's like, you can just video it. And, and like, like you said, if it feels exactly the same, it's going, or it's going to be exactly the same. You know, I'd almost say that it can feel totally different and it's still probably going to be exactly the same. Like people don't understand how different it's going to feel for it to actually be different. And like, you know, you have someone that's like, you know, say they're crossing over with their arm. It's like, I want you to literally put your arm, like, as if you were entering like at two o'clock, like way out here. And they're like, all right, I'll do it. And then you film it and they're entering straight in front of their head or they're entering straight in front of their shoulders. And they're going to be like, well, that was a waste of time. And then you show them the video and they're just like, oh. And so again, like they don't, they tend not to believe you until you show them objective proof, especially when you're asking for a, a big change. And so that, you know, that's another strategy that can be really helpful too. I just from a during the week who would normally only breathe to the one side and they tried breathing to the, to their right hand side, which was the side they wouldn't normally breathe to. And they were I think, <clears> three <throat> seconds faster per hundred and they're like, but it just right. doesn't feel good. And we're looking right. at the footage and it's like, it looks way better <laughs> than your other side. Yeah. So it's just so and funny you're faster. How, yeah, exactly. It's just so funny how there can be such a disconnect there between yeah. you know, feeling and, and what's actually happening. But as you said, right. the numbers don't lie. And you need some right. of those numbers to be able to prove a point and, and know whether right. or not it's working. Yeah. And, and especially athletes that are kind of training on their own, it's, it's so helpful to guide what's happening because mm. you're not going to have someone providing you feedback. But as long as, you know, those numbers are, are doing more or less what, what they should be and they're moving in the right direction, like you're doing the right things, regardless of what it feels like or regardless of how sure you are of, of what you're doing. Let's say you're coaching someone uh, remotely what yep. would you have them do as a sign of progress? Like what sort of testing would you go, okay, hundred freestyle, just it you know, easy. I want your, I want your time. I want your stroke 
uh, count and or would you have them do like a depending on what they're training for like a 400 time trial yeah. what are some of those tests that you think would be important and i know it's going to change depending on what they're yeah. training for but just interested in your perspective yeah. I, and, and and I think so, so it, it can be helpful. One, it can be helpful. You just ask them what, the, what they know they, you know, whatever baseline they have so that they can mm-hmm. see progress. Because if, if you give them a new test, you know, th- that can be helpful too. And then you compare it. But a lot of times they, they have a sense of where they're at. So, you know, that, you know, a lot of athletes are like, well, I like 1050s on 45 and I always hold whatever 36s. And then you give them something and it's like, all right, well, we'll, we'll do that in a month or something like that. And then, and the other aspect of it too, is like, I just, you know, a a lot of training is going to be pretty similar. And so they should be seeing progress, you know, not not necessarily each and every day, but you don't always, you know, to me, every practice is a test at some point, like you, you, you're going to have an awareness of how hard it was. You're going to have an awareness of your performances. And so if your performances are getting better, then obviously you're improving. And if your performances are similar, but all of a sudden it feels way easier like that's in progress too. And so trying to educate athletes to, you know, to be aware of these things can be really helpful because sometimes like, you know, you, you, you do the first test and for whatever reason, they're just having the best day of their life and they just, they do a really good job. And then you, you test them again and, you know, it was the worst night of their life and, and it's just terrible. And like, you, you just can run into these situations where, you know, it looks like there was no progress made just because of outside factors. And so, I, I try to place an emphasis on what's changing, you know, day to day. And and anytime you repeat a set of similar type, like you're kind of always comparing it. And then that way, you know, you see the trend as opposed to like waiting for this test. And I think regardless of, you know, whenever I'm coaching someone online or in person, like th- those are the things that I'm looking for is, you know, on the, on the stuff that we're kind of pretty keyed in on is that stuff making progress in some way over time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. That's, that's a good one. Because yeah, quite often people have a set that they a go to set. They know their yeah. pace. They've got the same right same every time. Yeah. yeah, good way to really good way to do it. Andrew, for those that are listening, what's the uh, best way to either you know, grab a copy of your book or get in touch with you? you know, perhaps they're a sure. club or a squad or a coach, and you know, they, sure. they'd like to to work with someone like you to help with the skill development of their athletes. How can they best get in touch? Sure. My website is coachandrewsheep.com. That's probably the best way. My, my, well, my email address is coachandrewsheep at gmail.com. You can just use that. And then, you know, on the, on the website, there's a quick, like 50 something minute course that you can do. That's it's all how to make this stuff really practical. You can get the book there. And so that's probably the best way to, to get in touch with me or, you know, to learn more about some of this stuff for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the the podcast. I really love talking about this stuff, especially from someone who's who's studied it as deeply as as you have and and put the time into to, to such a such a detailed book. And I've it's I, have, I haven't read it from cover to cover. I've I've looked at different parts where I'm like, okay, this is this is something I'd like to work on. So you know, going through the different different sections of it is is how I've I've gone through the book. And I think it's I think it's such a valuable skill for coaches to develop because you know before the podcast we were talking about how it can be it's just easier to kind of write a good workout that's easy you know everyone can write a workout but it's how can you apply the skills how can you, you know, think about that skill development or how can you have your athletes focusing on certain parts of their stroke so it's not just you telling them what to do and I, th- I think if you can develop that as a coach or as an athlete because mo- most of the athletes listening to this yeah. like how, how can you be aware of where your stroke is at by using some of these numbers you know how can you use that to get better 
So it's, yeah. it's something that I really love to talk about. So thanks for being on the podcast and yeah. down the track, I'd love to get you back on. We'll, we'll dive deeply into one or two other topics and go awesome. about it from there. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.